Why do people want to be at work? To feel heard, appreciated, part of something, and to know there's a career path for everyone. Inclusive workplaces are linked to increased innovation, productivity, and employee satisfaction. Make your organization a place where people want to be. For inclusion and diversity training, visit inclusion-program.com.au. It's your daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap for this Tuesday, the 15th of August, 2023. Later, we'll go into the latest figures from the Bureau of Statistics, which showed that wages growth is slowing. So what does it mean for the RBA? But first, to hearing implant maker Cochlear, which posted a full-year underlying profit of $305 million. That's up 10% on record sales. For more, I spoke with its CEO, Dig Howard, about the future of the company and its new technology. So Dig, Cochlear supplied hearing implants to 15% more people this financial year. That's more than 44,000 people. What drove that? A few things, Ricardo. Um, firstly, there's underlying market growth because there's just enormous need for our products uh, that remains unmet. Uh, we've also gained some share, some market share on the back of very great, strong products and a great technology portfolio. There's been a recovery in clinical capacity, both in surgeries and a little bit of expansion in audiology capacity. And we also saw some catch up of surgeries delayed through COVID that we actually thought we'd already seen, but we, we did see some more come through last year. So four drivers and really pleased with the strength of the growth. I'd love to break down some of those drivers, right? Um, you mentioned there's still this unmet um, need, I guess. What's being done to make it easier for people to access hearing implants? Yes, yeah, so, so this is the core of our strategy, that there are hundreds of thousands of people around the world, including in Australia, who have a significant hearing loss who don't get access to our products, largely because they don't know that they are candidates uh, and the healthcare professionals that they are talking to often don't know the indications for cochlear implants. So our, our strategy is largely around building that awareness uh, of our products, of the effectiveness of them, and also very importantly, building out the awareness of the importance of treating hearing loss. Hearing loss is a medical condition that people don't see as a medical condition. They just see it as something that happens as you get old and you put up with it. And there's increasing amount of evidence that says it's actually a serious medical condition and, it's, and good hearing is essential for healthy ageing. I mean, there was just a, a very recent study released in July that uh, tracked people with hearing loss over three years. Uh, half of them got hearing aids, half of them didn't get hearing aids and tracked their cogn cognition track their brain function over that time. Now, at the macro level, it didn't. there wasn't a difference in cognition across the, the two groups. But with people for higher risk of cognitive decline, those people who had hearing loss and got treated with hearing aids, their cognition declined by 48% less than the people who had hearing loss and didn't get treated. That, and that says that's a strong indicator that hearing is really important in brain function and the health of our brains as we age. Uh, a second point that you made earlier is that of catch-up in surgeries. Can you go into more detail about that? To what extent is there still more catch-up? We think, yeah, as best way, it's really hard for us to tell what's catch-up surgery and what's not. So what we've got is a couple of things. One is we saw in uh, developed countries um, 
an increase in the, the rate of growth in children, 5% increase in the children. Now, we normally expect that to be 1% in line with about the birth rate. Um, this 5% says two things. One of that is increasing market share because of our product technology. The other one is we do think there is some COVID catch-up. And as we talk to clinics, they're just some anecdotes of they're seeing some children that are a bit older or some babies that are a bit older than normal, which suggests that they somehow got missed uh, through through COVID and newborn hearing screening and COVID, but fortunately now have been uh, caught in the in the system. So it's very hard to tell how many, but we do think as we look around that largely cleared, particularly for children. But there, there are some waiting lists, uh, you know, in Australia, in uh, South Australia and in Western Australia, there are still waiting lists for adults, not for children, for adults to, to get cochlear implants. The past few times I spoke to you over the past few years, we were talking about the demands being made on hospital staff during the pandemic, right? To what extent do you think that has been alleviated? So it's certainly improved. And first of all, I mean, hospital staff did, and frontline healthcare staff right around the world did an amazing job for all of us through the, the pandemic. Um, and, and many, as a result of that, were, were tired, were worn out, were looking for other jobs. So it was a clear dip uh, afterwards in terms of the the uh, number of nurses, for example, people working in hospitals. What we've seen is a pretty good recovery of that uh, capacity and of uh, people working in hospitals particularly, and that's certainly underpinned a lot of the growth we saw in the last year was just more hospital uh, capacity being available. And so um, I think we're pretty confident that will now uh, continue to grow uh, into the future. Final two questions. Technology obviously would be a, a big deal at Cochlear. Um, what are the new exciting pieces of technology there? And um, how does Cochlear use artificial intelligence, AI, which seems to be the buzzword at the moment in corporate Australia? Yeah, so on, on the new technology, I uh, can't talk specifics because that, uh, everyone wants to know what we're doing, but we do spend 12% uh, of our revenue in R&D, $240 million uh, in the last year. And that's building a fantastic pipeline of new products where we aim to improve the hearing outcomes people get. Uh, we aim to improve connectivity. How easy is it to live with an implant? Does it seamlessly connect with uh, your phones and TVs and um, other other devices, um, but also part of this is can there once someone has a cochlear implant or an acoustic implant, there's a, a lifetime of care that follows, which over time is not is a minimal number of appointments. But the more that we can monitor through our technology, the more we can reduce appointments that are just checkups and only have people go back in if there's a specific need, and that's a real opportunity for. Uh, our technology, we've made some advances there already, and that's an absolutely an opportunity for AI, uh, is to use AI uh, to help people um, adjust their implant system over time to suggest adjustments, um, for example, which simplifies and reduces the cost of that lifetime of care and makes it much more convenient. People can get care at home without having to get an appointment. Now, as a regular, as there should be with AI, there's a regulatory or any new process, product, there's a regulatory process to go through, but that's one of the opportunities for AI. We also see great opportunities in our customer service 
uh, in providing help and tips for people uh, in um, knowledge management. We've got an enormous amount of clinical knowledge, as an example, around the world from people in all sorts of different circumstances and hearing environments. If we were better able to pool and access that knowledge, we could really help people even more uh, with their hearing and provide it much easier to access. So we've got some great use cases for AI. We are starting uh, working through those, uh, but I think it's a very, very exciting future. And finally, something I'm asking all CEOs this reporting season, what's your company's position on the Indigenous voice to Parliament? Why? And are you financially backing the campaign either way? Okay. Uh, yeah, so we, uh, we support the spirit of the Uluru Statement of the Heart. Uh, we have a reconciliation action plan. The primary focus of that action plan is Indigenous hearing health. There is a huge gap between the hearing health of Indigenous Australians and the rest of us, uh, to the extent that um, Indigenous people are three times more likely to have a middle ear infection. Over 40% of Indigenous people over the age of seven have hearing loss at some level in one or both years. The consequence of that, particularly for children, is access to good education. If you can't hear the teacher clearly, how do you get a good education and all of the opportunities that come uh, from life? So we are very focused. That's what we know. We are very focused on our reconciliation action plan in that area. As far And we think we can make a real difference working with others. As far as the voice goes, we are uh, providing information to our employees to make an informed choice. We're encouraging people to make their own decision um, and making sure that we do provide that uh, access and information. And we are not providing financial support to either of the campaigns, but are putting it into um, education for our employees and to the extent we can in helping on Indigenous hearing health. Dig Howard there, the CEO of Cochlear. Now to some economic news with the wage price index, according to the Bureau of Statistics, eased for the year down from 3.7%, which was a 10.5-year high, to 3.6%. So what does that mean for official interest rates? Is it something the Reserve Bank would be pleased about? For more, I spoke with Pat Bustamante. He's a senior economist at St George. So these numbers, uh, if anything, surprised on, on the downside, and they were a touch uh, slower um, in terms of the quarterly growth rate compared to what the market and indeed the Reserve Bank itself were, um, was expecting. Uh, so the wage price index came in at um, 0.8% over the June quarter, and that was a bit lower than the 0.9% um, expected. So um, it really points to uh, a moderation when it comes to wages growth in the economy. Um, which is counter to uh, the risks that um, could eventuate from a tighter labour market and high inflation environment. But we just haven't seen that materialise. We haven't seen wages um, essentially uh, chase higher prices. If anything, we've seen a moderation in wages growth, which would please the Reserve Bank. It's still interesting, though, to see that while the proportion of jobs receiving a wage rise this quarter was slightly lower than the same time last year, those that did receive a wage increase, the average was larger than last year. Why? And what's that saying about the economy? That's right. And that was both across um, the public and private sectors. We saw the proportion of wage of wage of, of jobs that received a wage increase for compared to the June quarter in 2022. 
Um, but those that did receive uh, wage increases received a larger increase than uh, compared to both the previous quarter and last year. Um, and and when and in particular, when you look at those receiving wages growth of above four percent, um, that ticked up over the quarter as well. So that that that's telling you, um, I guess, two main things. The, the first one is that um, you know maybe those uh, those skill shortages that were quite acute last year. And which led to uh, businesses having to offer higher wages on a more regular basis to attract labour. Maybe those pressures are, are easing um, somewhat compared to compared to where they were last year, um, and that's something that you expect given the high migration numbers um, and the high increase in, in labour supply, which is helping to fill those skill shortages. So that that suggests that um, you know those those acute pressures in the labour market is turning. Um, and which is consistent with what the um, which what the RBA has been saying as well, um, including in the minutes today that the labour market has started to, to show signs that it's turning. So that was uh, again would have been uh, positive for the Reserve Bank. What's the pace of wages doing to the rising cost of living? Because we know that inflation, the headline inflation rate, is at six percent, almost double that of wages. Because some people are really doing it tough. So, so this slowing of wages is that necessarily a good thing? Uh, so, it, it, I guess it depends on uh, you know the perspective. So, when you look at uh, broad inflationary pressures across the economy, uh, having uh, you know sustainable wages growth at around that three and a half to four percent mark is a good thing from a macro um, stability perspective, and it's something which the Reserve Bank Governor has been talking for uh, about for a while now. Um, but when it comes to individual households. It just shows the pressures that households are under at the moment. So um, in terms of what households consume, um, if the, the consumer price index increased by, as you said, 6% over the year to the June quarter. Uh, wages growth um, is only running at about 3.6%. So in real terms, wages are going backwards and it just shows the extent of uh, pressures that the households are under uh, at the moment. So um, we're still got to, uh, in terms of our forecast, we've still got to... Um, at least eighteen months to go before we expect, um, you know, significant real wages increase for for households um, across Australia. Uh, what will ultimately drive those real wages increases? Uh, so we're expecting inflation to keep on, on coming on coming down um, over the next two years, um, and that would ultimately, if you combine that with you know s- a sustainable and stable wages growth at around the level that we have at the moment. Um, we've got. Um, we're expecting after the the September quarter, we're expecting the wage price index to go up um, to around four percent, but then come down to a more sustainable three and a half percent. Yeah, that's basically going to going to drive real wages growth, so sustainable wages, and um, a, a reduction in um, at least headline inflation over the next two years. And final question: Combine today's data, the um, wage price index data, with the RBA minutes that was also released today. We know that the RBA said that um, it did consider a twenty-five basis point increase at the last meeting, but ultimately decided on no change at four point one percent. What does this all mean for the future direction of interest rates? Uh, so when it comes to the uh, the wages outcome, as I as I mentioned earlier, it was a bit a touch softer than the Reserve Bank was um, was expecting um, at uh, you know 08 percent compared to 0.9. So if anything, there's a bit of downside risk there when it comes to um, you know the, the RBA's own wages and import and uh, inflation forecast. Um, so in terms of uh, in terms of the the minutes that were released today, the board did uh, the the board did consider. 
both a pause and a, and a hike of 25 basis points. Um, the board landed on um, a, a pause, as we all know. And I think there were three main reasons why they landed on, on that decision as opposed to hiking again. So uh, the first one relates to what we saw in inflation a few weeks ago. So inflation came in a bit softer than expected. Not only did the headline number come in a bit softer than expected, but the makeup would have really pleased the, the Reserve Bank with some of those market services that, that you know, seem to be sticky overseas, uh, moderating in Australia. So that would have really pleased the, the Reserve Bank. And on the back of that, um, what the Reserve Bank's been saying for, you know, the last few months now is that the upside risk to inflation and the downside risk to the real economy are now much more evenly balanced. So maybe, you know, a quarter, two quarters ago, the upside risk to inflation were really kind of primary consideration which the board was uh you know informing its decision on now it's uh you know weighing up more evenly kind of the downside risk to the economy um because we've seen inflation come down and we're also seeing households really start to pull back when it comes to um retail spending we saw that go back you know for three consecutive quarters so so um so that's that's kind of the second consideration um and and finally um the reserve bank has also um Made the made the point that there are long and variable lags associated with monetary policy. So even though if they stop tightening today, they're still kind of tightening in the pipeline, which is going to affect spending going forward. Um, and particularly when you consider that the, a large share of households have fixed mortgages that are going to roll over onto variable rate mortgages, that's really going to continue to continue to uh, impose a tightening in the economy even though um, they've paused rates. So when you put those three factors together, um, the, the minutes suggest that, the, yeah, the, the case for pausing was much stronger than the case for hiking. And that's kind of where they where they landed. Um, but they did they did warn that uh, if, uh, you know, risks become unbalanced and the upside risk to inflation increases or, um, you know, there's an assessment that we're being knocked off that disinflationary path that we're on, that they will hike again. So... Um, that's, I guess, that's that's warning. But at the moment, it seems like the economy is evolving in line with what they were expecting. Pat Bustamante there from St George. Now, market day on the SBS on the Money podcast. A very quick look at the Australian share market, which did rise today. The S&P ASX 200 up 0.4%, 7,305. And it comes after China's central bank lifted key interest rates there for a second time in three months. Uh, and it is an attempt to try to stimulate its economy and followed some more negative economic news out of the country today. This SBS on the Money stream is provided for informational purposes only. The content in this stream should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and it does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision. SBS is Australia's most trusted multilingual broadcaster. Our listeners are loyal, highly engaged and have supported countless local businesses. We offer advertising packages for businesses of all sizes. Our experienced sales team will guide you through the process of owning a great campaign. Bring your own ad or have our production team make you something in one of our 68 languages. Start the conversation with your new audience today. Email sales at sbs.com.au.